So, you ready to get started on this whole life organization plan? You mean answering the three big questions of a frantic life? Let's do this. Question number one. Who are you? And whose are you? What makes your family unique? I mean, we're of French and Irish descent, but we, I mean, we don't practice French or Irish traditions. Honey, do we really have to do this right now? Why not? How about... We have four kids. That's unique. <laughs> Not really. Sam, seriously, the kids have to be to school in an hour, and I'm trying to finish these thank you notes from our anniversary. That was 10 months ago. I know. But my flight for Chicago leaves in two hours. <laughs> you fly to Chicago today? Yeah, it's on my calendar. And which Google calendar did you put it on? My journey calendar. Oh, I forget to look at that one. Yeah, I use that as my primary calendar. You should be able to see it. Why didn't you put it on the Bennett family calendar? Because it's a work trip. The boxes don't touch. (sighs) Okay. When do you plan to be back? Uh, tomorrow, late. The school board meeting? What about it? (sighs) It's tomorrow night. But I'm not on the school board. You are. I know, but you agreed to meet with them to discuss using the commons as a venue. Did you put it on my calendar? (laughs) You had your calendar in front of you when we were discussing it, so I assumed that you were going to put it on your calendar. Uh, Let me see if I can get my flight bumped to get back in time for the meeting. It's not going to be easy, though. Either way, we have to get the kids to the middle school uprising. Oh, do you think you could call Dylan to see maybe if he could give them a ride? Dylan's truck can't carry all of our kids, and my plate's kind of full. Can you call Molly? Because my plate is so empty. I just have to take two to her doctor's appointment, and I have to go grocery shopping, cook for the uprising, plan for the board meeting tomorrow night, plus all my regular household duties while you're off gallivating in Chicago. I know your life is crazy. It's crazy for all of us. That's why we have to get started on organizing our family. Okay, you're right. Let's see. Well, our family is big. Mm-hmm. And we like to be involved, actively involved in our kids' life. Yeah, and I, I travel as little as I can. And you're a stay-at-home mom so that mm-hmm. we can be as involved as possible. That sounds like a great start. What else? Well, God's important to us. We try to keep him at the center of our family. Mm. That reminds me, next Tuesday night we have small group at our house. Can you make sure that you're there for that? Yeah, um, sixth grade orchestra concert. Oh, I forgot about that. I'm going to have to call Hannah and cancel. We have got to cut back on our activities. Yes, we do, but so let's stay focused. Okay. What else makes our family unique? Living life to the fullest is important to us. And we're passionate about everything we do. You can say that again. (laughs) We're passionate about everything we do. Okay. How does this sound? The Bennetts are unique in that we're a large, close-knit family where the parents are heavily involved in the lives of their children. Family life is centered around church and faith, and we believe in being passionate and emotionally invested in everything we do. That sounds great. I love it. Ah, I missed my flight. 
You know, just starting this whole process makes me feel so much better. Oh, did you share that doc with me? Uh, me too, and yes, I did. <laughs> oh, by the way, did you order the uniforms for Andrew's football team? Ugh. Ugh, we better get started on question number two really fast. You can say that again. We better get started on question number two. Yeah, great job. <clears throat> Thanks, guys. Hi, Journey. Great to see every single one of you here today, especially if you're our guest. We're delighted to have you, really privileged to meet with you, with God all together. For the next three weekends, we're going to do something a little atypical. I'm going to tell you right out of the gates that the goal of these next three weekends, the goal of this message series, the three big questions for your frantic life, is to actually challenge you to stop, carve out some time, sit down, much like you saw Sam and April do in that sketch, and formulate your own personal strategic plan, setting in motion some mechanisms by which you determine your own values, strategies, and most important tasks. And I'm going to tell you right at the start that this works, and this is for you whether you're a single person, and this works, and this is for you if you're just a married couple with no kids yet, and this works, and this is for you if you're a family with a bunch of kids or a few kids, it doesn't matter. I mean, walking you through this process was born up out of this sort of aha moment where I was observing how frantic life is for so many people I know, our family included. And I actually stopped and I said this. If we ran our businesses like we run our families, they would be bankrupt and out of business. Ever thought about that? Ever considered that reality? Have you ever like stopped dead in your tracks in a frantic pace of life moment and said, if I ran my business or if I ran my department or if I did my job the same way I run my personal and family life, my company would be bankrupt and out of business. Just as an example of this, I want to do a show of hands thing. How many of you have done some sort of strategic planning, values clarification or mission statement crafting at your workplace? Show of hands. At your workplace, you've done, yeah, lots of hands up. Now let's do this one. How many of you have done that same kind of strategic planning, values clarification, or mission statement work at home for yourself or for your, yeah, not very many, far fewer than have done it at work, which is precisely the place that this series is born up out of. As a guy named Patrick Lencioni says it, a guy who wrote the book that really inspired this whole series, and I quote, almost all of the leaders whom I've met claim that their family is more important to them than their work. Most of them seem to really, really mean that. He goes on, however, every one of those leaders, including me, the one standing right here right now, would have to admit that they spend inordinately more time thinking about, strategizing about, and meeting about how to run their enterprise than they do their families. And he finishes with this, yet they complain that life at home is far too reactive, frantic, and unfocused, end quote. But that just simply doesn't make any sense, does it? Smart, family-minded people over-investing in their work life, yet failing to manage what they say is the most important organization in their whole life, their family. Why not stop? Why not leverage some of the same tools we use in our work lives to help bring some clarity and some sanity to our personal and home life? Which is exactly what we're going to do. 
The idea is that you would take these tools, that you would grab onto these, and that you would run these out, and that you would actually stop and ask these three big questions of your life with some regularity. Now, to be very clear, right out of the gates, I'm not in any way promising nor guaranteeing that this work that we're going to engage in is going to eliminate every bit of franticness from your life. I cannot guarantee that. Because see, as long as there's business trips and school board meetings and sporting events and taxes and, well, in-laws to deal with, there's always going to be a certain level of craziness in our lives, right? Which, honestly, that's kind of a good thing, isn't it? Because if you could completely manage all the craziness out of your life, what would it be? Life would be boring. Life is meant to have a certain level of adventure about it. But think about this. What if we, through this process, we could achieve 20 or 30 or 40 or even 60% more sanity in the midst of the adventure of life. That would be so worth this investment of time, wouldn't it? And here's why. I believe to the core of my being, one of the absolute greatest enemies to our fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ, which is to display and declare the good news of Jesus Christ in everything that we do. That's the mission. That's why we're here. That's what Jesus has us on planet Earth for. And I believe with all of me that the greatest enemy to our ability to live that mission out is life is just way too frantic, isn't it? We're too hurried. We're pulled in too many different directions, which means this. Spiritual conversations, opportunities that God presents to us to display the good news, opportunities God drops right into our lap to do whatever it takes to connect people to God, they very often just fall by the wayside, fall off of our plates because we're just living life on a tear. We're here, we're there, we're everywhere, and we're nowhere all at the same time. Which is why I'm asking, exhorting, inviting you to take this process up very, very seriously. To consider how your life might be transformed into a more peaceful, a more proactive, and a more purposeful life so that you actually have the margin that it takes to display and declare the good news of Jesus Christ to people all around you. This series isn't just about your personal and your home life becoming more comfortable. It's actually, get this, all about the eternal destiny of people's souls. It is all about the eternal destiny of other people's souls. It's all about you and your whole family living life on the mission of Christ, displaying, declaring the good news to people all around you, you and your family having the space, having the margin, having the time to stop and do whatever it takes to connect people to God. That, by the way, is the mission of our church. It's why we're here. It's why Journey does everything we do, every single thing we do. Will you take this up, and will you take it seriously, please? Are you ready? Let's dive in. The first big question of your frantic life is this. Who and whose are you? Who and whose are you? Another way to ask that question, you heard Sam and April say it this way. What makes you, what makes your family unique? What makes you as an individual or you and your family different from every other person or every other family that you know? To set all this up, I want to start with a story that will likely be familiar to a whole bunch of you. It's a story that's recorded in the book of Daniel in the Bible. It sets up like this. There was a certain king of the nation of Babylon named King Nebuchadnezzar. 
quite a name, King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was a conquering king. He managed to capture a whole bunch of the ancient world. From his conquest, he brought back to Babylon many of the world's, quote, best and brightest to serve him and to serve the kingdom of Babylon. Now, to King Nebuchadnezzar, loyalty was very, very important. He wanted to be absolutely certain that every single person in his kingdom was entirely loyal to him, which is really what this week's big question, who and whose are you, is all about. It's a loyalty thing, isn't it? It's a loyalty question. So King Nebuchadnezzar is ruthless about the loyalty thing. He wants to make sure that people are entirely loyal to him. And so he orders his workers to construct a giant idol outside of the community. And so they did. They made a 90-foot tall, 9-foot wide idol statue of pure gold. Imagine that. Get that statue in your mind's eye. 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. What a sight. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's a bit of an egotist. He sends a herald then to proclaim this message, Daniel chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, on the screens or in your text if you want to turn there. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sounds of the horn, the flute, the favorite instrument of mine, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. This is strong words. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Whoa. Now that proclamation from King Nebuchadnezzar, it sets up what you might call a crisis for three young men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're Israelites. They know and worship the one true living God of Israel. His name is Yahweh. They know then who and whom they're supposed to worship. They know that you don't just go outside of the community and bow down and worship some big gold pagan. They know better. They know that God, they know that Yahweh cares deeply about their loyalty to him and to him alone. And so in this crisis moment, these three guys have a decision to make, don't they? They're going to have to decide, frankly, who they are. Maybe better said, whose they are. They're going to have to decide, who am I ultimately going to be loyal to? Now, someone's going to be offended in that process, aren't they? They're going to have to say no to someone. And saying no to people, that isn't very fun, is it? Either they say no to King Nebuchadnezzar or they say no to God. They say no to Yahweh. But somebody's going to get told no. Somebody's going to be unhappy, disappointed, let down about being told no. Now flash forward, if you will, to modern days, these days. I got to say that God's rivalry for first place in our lives. It isn't some pagan foreign king setting up a giant gold statue out west of town demanding that we all run out there and bow down, is it? That's not happening. At least I don't think it is. I missed the notice if it is. That's not happening today for us, 2012. But rather for you and for me, God's rival for first place in our lives is this culture that we're preoccupied with, caught up in, a culture of busy and hurry, isn't it? 
And that culture of busy and hurry causes us to miss out on so much of the very reason that we're on planet Earth, which is to display and declare the good news of Jesus Christ, which is to do whatever it takes to connect people to God. That's God's rivalry for rightful first place in our lives, which means that your and my tension point most of the time is how we use the time God's given to us. How we leverage the gift of time, which is what it is, isn't it? It's really a gift of time that God gives to us. And our tension point is, how do we use the gift of time that God has given to us? And believe it or not, you and me, every single day, we're proclaiming our ultimate allegiance by how we use the gift of time God's given us. Every single day we declare who our ultimate allegiance is to by how we use the time that God's given us. And here's what happens. Way too many people, way too much of the time, end up misappropriating this gift of time God's given. And they do that because I believe they don't start with this very first, very big question, who and whose are you? It is an absolutely critical question. Who and whose are you? A flashback to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some really powerful insights into the response of these three guys. Uh, let me fast forward in the story. We know that those three guys, they don't bow down to the big dumb idol. They say, uh-uh. We aren't bowing down. Not a chance. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's a bit of a control freak. He hears about this, and he is incensed. And so he calls them in, and I think it's kind of a more high-stakes calling in than what you feel when you get called into the principal or the dean's office. Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, they've been summoned to see King Nebuchadnezzar, and here's how he starts the conversation. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance. He's a nice guy. He's going to give him some grace. I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, including the zither, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Now look at this last line. And then what God, notice little g God, will be able to rescue you from my power. And then what God, little g, will be able to rescue you from my power? That's quite a question. Quite a question. There's a funny thing about that question, though. It falls into the category of rhetorical questions, doesn't it? King Nebuchadnezzar is not in any way expecting an answer to that question, right? And there's times in life when we ask questions in similar fashion, don't we? We don't really mean them as questions. They're more of sort of a, a setup thing. If you're a parent, I'm just going to say this. You do this all the time. You ask rhetorical questions, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to make a judgment, call it stupid. And the rhetorical questions that we, I'm a parent too, I do this all the time. The rhetorical questions we ask our kids, they're really stupid. Let me show you. See if this sounds familiar. You say to your kids, you ask them this question, do you want a spanking? Now, when you say that, you're not really expecting an answer, are you? It's stupid. 
It's a dumb question. I just want you to picture for a moment me asking our eight-year-old son, Dylan, that question. He's the one I ask the question of most frequently at our house. Poor dude. Dylan, do you want a spanking? Picture he's standing there. I'm not anticipating a reply, but imagine he says, well, okay, Dad. I was going to go downstairs and play the Xbox, but a spanking sounds like a whole lot more fun. Let's get to it. Xbox spanking, Xbox spanking. I'll take the spanking, come on. It's just a set-up question, right? Does my hair look stupid, right? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. Does this dress make me look fat? It's a rhetorical, que- right? rhetorical question. Automated responses. No, 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 no. Same kind of set-up question King Nebuchadnezzar poses to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What God will be able to rescue you from my power? He's thinking there's none. No one. King Nebuchadnezzar is an egotist. He thinks he's the biggest deal going in the universe. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to bring him back down to planet Earth. Because they have an answer. Whether he wants to hear it or not, they have an answer. Daniel 3, 16 to 18. Here it is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied. And, you know, whoa, whoa. They're replying. And they do so humbly and respectfully. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. This is a powerful guy they're talking to. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God, big G God, whom we serve, is able to save us. Get that. He is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Respectful. They're humble. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, That we will, these are strong words, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Never. We will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue. Big, dumb, no, absolutely not. It is an amazing response to a question that wasn't even meant to be answered. And what's so especially powerful about their answer is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, get this please. They had made up their minds about what they were going to do and what they were not going to do long before they ever knew the outcome of that decision. See? You see that? They weren't like on the fly, in the moment, trying to figure out what are we going to do? Are we going to bow down or are we not going to bow down? They didn't have it all planned out. They didn't know how the details were all going to be arranged, but they had made in advance a very hard and fast decision. I will not bow down to golden statues. Won't do it. I'm not going to do it. Why? Why weren't they going to do that? Why weren't they going to bow down? Everybody, and I mean everybody else, was doing it. Why weren't they? Because they knew who and whose they were. They had the answer to that question figured out. They had stopped. They had thought on it. They had prayed on it. They had meditated on it. They knew, I belong to God. I don't belong to anyone else. I belong to Yahweh. And because I belong to Yahweh, that means I don't bend my knee to anything or anyone else just him. So you can take your big dumb statue, Nebuchadnezzar, and they're respectful, your majesty, but I ain't bowing down. 
And so you see, I'm asking you this week to go, and I'm asking you to work on this big question for your frantic life at home. Who and whose are you? The same question Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to wrestle with. Who and whose are you? Who and whose are you? Now get this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means then some things are automatically decided. They're automatically settled for you. By virtue of your identification with Christ, there are some blanks already filled in for you and for your life, for the life of your family, because you belong to God. There's some answers to the questions that you already know, see. Stuff like how you spend your time. Stuff like how you appropriate the money that God entrusts to your care. What a win looks like for you and your family. You know what that is. The things that you're absolutely not about. There's a bunch of blanks already filled in for you. And so as you step into this process of asking and answering those questions, grab onto those blanks that are already filled in. Grab onto your identity that is in Christ and in Christ alone. Do not leave those out of this process. It's absolutely critical that you step into the person, the family that you are intended to be by God, by virtue of you being his. You're his, remember. Include those in this process, and that's your homework. I'm asking you to go home And I'm asking you to call a meeting with yourself. If you're a single person, then you're going to have a meeting. Just you and God. Call a meeting with yourself. You don't have to tell anybody you're doing that. They might think you're weird. Call a meeting with yourself. Maybe it's just you and your spouse. If it's just two of you, call a meeting, the two of you. If you're a single parent, you and maybe some of your older kids, call a meeting. If you're married and you have kids, grab a couple of your older kids, set a time, set a place, sit down and press into that question, who and whose are you? And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you already have some things settled. In addition to those, you have two different data points that are gonna help you finish answering that question. The first thing that you have, you already have these. This isn't new stuff. You already have these. You're just going to extract them. You have core values. Did you know that? Your family right now, as it is, you as a single person, you have core values. What's that mean? You have these fundamental and positive qualities about you, about your family, that are absolutely inescapable. You have core values. They're operating right now in your life. And sometimes when people get to this core values thing, they try to make it way too difficult. It just shouldn't be that difficult. It's just two or maybe three things. And you can think like there's a gazillion positive qualities that you might want to use to describe yourself or to describe your family, but they're not all true of you. There are a few things, probably a couple, two or three of them, that are absolutely true of you, true of you and your spouse, true of your family. And so when you come to this time, when you sit down, you set this meeting, you do your homework, a great place to start the core values conversation, especially if you're a married couple, is to ask, what was it that drew the two of you together in the first place? And I'm talking, just for the record, about things that go beyond. I'm talking about character traits, not just physical attraction, okay? These are character traits that drew the two of you together in the first place. Physical attraction, that's obvious, right? Maybe it was because both of you stood up for what was right. Maybe it was because you're both absolutely passionate about every single thing you engage in. 
Maybe it was that both of you call out the truth even when you're the lone dissenter. Maybe it was that you both put God tangibly first in every single thing that you did. It's a great place for a married couple to start the core values conversation. You're going to come out of that with some answers, absolutely. Now, maybe you're a single person, and you're like, well, I haven't met my future spouse yet, so you can't answer that question, but do this. Answer that question by asking this one. The person whom I marry will absolutely have to have this value in common with me. And if you feel that strongly that your future spouse will have to share that value, then you've probably identified one of your very own core values. So you see, part of answering this week's big question is you sitting down, you answering that question, what are my, what are our core values? And it's not a laundry list of every positive adjective in the entire world. It cannot be too long. Two to three. Get that. Two to three. They define, they absolutely define who and whose you are. The second set of data that you already have at your disposal that will help you answer the first big question is the strategy that you've chosen. And you've all, every one of us, we've chosen a strategy. How so? The two or three purposeful decisions people and families make that drives how they live week by week, month by month, and year by year. We're all living by some sort of strategy. Now this process in particular, the strategy process, is messy, it is not necessarily very precise, it's going to fill a lot of paper, you might go get some of those big tear-off sticky notes, those giant sticky notes actually, and put them up around your living room, or around your dining room, around your kitchen table, and get to your family's strategy. And to do that, just start by writing down anything and everything that's true about you. Maybe it is just you. Maybe it's you and your spouse. Maybe it's you and your kids. Just dump it all out. Back up the dump truck, dump it all out. How many kids do you have? How old are your kids? What's your work? Do you travel for your work? Where does your extended family live? How do you stay in shape? What vision for the future do you have? Where do you reside? What kind of house do you live in? What kind of neighborhood do you live in? Where do you vacation? Who do you vacation? You see, just dump it all out. Just dump it all out. Then, this is fun. You're going to step back from that very, very long list, and you're going to look for big, overriding themes threaded all throughout that list. For example, maybe you step back from that list and you're like, whoa, it's really true. Our life really does revolve around living on the mission of Christ. We see all these data points that tell us that's most important to us. You also might step back and say, it looks like we highly value, we're all about in being involved in our kids' lives. And so you might circle that. That might be one of your strategies. You might step back and go, we have familial-like relationships with people who aren't family but are very, very close friends. We highly value that. That's part of your strategy. And the answer to those questions, those big overriding themes, that's your strategy. And your strategy gives you the clarity to make decisions in the face of all the pressures of life that attempts to distract you from what God and who God has made you to be. So when you're out there, when you're standing in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's shoes, when the quote-unquote kings of this world are telling you, you must bow down, you must do this, you must become that, it's your strategy that is set and decided in advance that causes you to say, uh-uh. 
That isn't who I am. That is not in any way, shape, or form who I am. That's not who we are. I'm God's. I belong to him, and I belong to him alone, and that means I don't bend my knee to to that. And I don't bend my knee to that. And I'm all into this instead. Now this process, hear me, it's kind of a fluid thing. You might get it only partially right this first time. Here's what I say about that. Change it the next time you do this. This isn't like a final exam for your entire life. Somebody's going to write a big F on the top of your paper. There's no deadline for this. The only people this matters to is you. You're not sharing this with the world. And so after you've clarified your values, after you've clarified your strategy, what are you left with? You have this really simple paragraph. You heard Sam and April's just a few minutes ago inside that sketch. You end up with a few sentences that describe who and whose you are. Who and whose you and your spouse are. Who and whose you and your whole family are. And maybe it looks something like this. I put this sample on your notes page for you. We are a, this is just a sample. We're a passionate family that believes in standing up strongly for what is right, even when there's a cost. We live our lives centered on our faith in Jesus Christ, which means that our church is a vital part of our lives. We place a special emphasis on maximizing our involvement in our children's lives and nurturing family-like relationships with our friends. It is very, very simple. It isn't clever. It doesn't take a bunch of wordsmithing. It's really plain language describing who and whose you are. Who and whose you are. That's your homework for the week. I'm going to ask you to go this week. I'm going to ask you to have meetings with whoever you need to have meeting with yourself if need be or with your whole family if you have one of those. And then bring that few sentence paragraph back with you next week because it is the driver of the second big question that we're going to ask and answer next week. That's your homework. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and go to prayer. If you would, please just get real still and real quiet with Jesus. I'm just going to ask you to stay in this posture of prayer and listening to the Lord if you would and I'm going to speak into this so who and whose are you who and whose are you big question and I know lots of you in this room you say you belong to God You know that you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus came to show you how to live on the mission of Christ. You know Jesus went to the cross for you. You know he died for your sin, my sin, the sin of all of humanity. You know he rose from the grave so that you could have life forever with him starting here and now. You know that you're his. You know that. Now because you know that, because you know that's true, Just remember, that means things for this process I'm inviting you to step into this week. It means that by virtue of your identifying as a follower of Jesus Christ, He, that's God, has decided some things in advance. Things like what you're about and what you live for and why you're on the planet. So I just want to encourage you to 
get real clear, to get real direct about those pieces, especially this week. As you by yourself or you and your spouse or you and your family press into that question, who and whose are you, pray over that time. Ask God to show up and speak into that time. Ask him to bring real crystal clarity about who and whose you are. Tell him you want life to be less frantic. Tell him you want time freed up so that you can live more and more on the mission of Christ. More freed up to display and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. More freed up to do whatever it takes to connect people to God. And above all of this whole process, just remember, this isn't about you being more comfortable. It's not about life getting easier. It is, however, all about the eternal destiny of souls. Will you remember that, please? This is all about the eternal destiny of souls. It's about God setting you on the mission of Jesus Christ for the sake of the eternal destiny of souls. Souls hang in the balance. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're someone who's here today and when you step back and when you honestly evaluate your life, your soul, under the depths of your being, your heart and soul, you know that you have yet to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. You don't identify with Christ, but you want to. And maybe today you're here, you've been running from God, you've been hiding from God, maybe you've been eluding God, and maybe as you've been here, the Holy Spirit, the power of God has been tugging on your heart, nudging you, telling you it's time to stop running, it's time to stop hiding, and it's time to come home. It's time to come home and give your heart and your soul and your life your very being to God and step into being the person God made you to be. To receive the gift of amnesty that Jesus died on the cross to give you. And I want you to know you can do that right now. Jesus' offer, it's an absolutely free gift to you. His offer, get that. His offer of amnesty is a free gift to you. But I gotta tell you, it means some things. It means that you're giving up your allegiance to some things, like to yourself and to your success and to your money, to your physical pleasure, to you building your own personal empire you think is gonna take care of you forever and ever. Bending your knee to Jesus Christ, becoming a son or daughter of God, means that you're giving up whatever it is that rules your life now. You're saying, I put all that down. I'm done with all that. I'm done. and you're bending your knee once and for all to him. You're making Jesus your one and only king. You're devoting your everything to him, total allegiance. And you're saying, I wanna live out the rest of eternity on his side, not opposed to him, on his side, with him. And if you're here today and that's the sincere desire of your heart, you can absolutely take that step of faith in God and you can do that by praying along with me. I invite you to it. Just say, God, I repent. I know to the core of my being that I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I need Jesus. I don't need anything else. I don't need stuff. I don't need things. I don't need material wealth. I I need you, Jesus. That's it. 
And God, with everything in me, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I thank you, Jesus, for taking my place. And Jesus, here's my heart. Here's my everything. Please wash me. Please make me new. Please make me whole. God, I'm yours. I am yours. I belong to you starting now and extending forever. And if you're choosing to step into faith in Jesus Christ today, I got to tell you, nothing carries more weight than that decision. It's the biggest deal of your whole life. And because it's such a big deal around here, we like to acknowledge that decision. I want you to know every head is bowed, every eye is closed, nobody but me, you, and God are looking around this room. If you prayed with me just then to give your heart and life to Jesus, would you be real bold and just slip your hand up and lock eyes with me and just say, yes, I'm making that decision today. My allegiance is to Jesus and to Jesus alone. I'm not bending my knee to anyone, anything else. You can do that now. It's Jesus, only Jesus. I'm his. Yeah, in the back, absolutely. This is your day of salvation. It's come for you. Yes, absolutely. Jesus Christ, for this one who is saying... It's all about you. I'm stepping into life in you for the first time. We say thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you so much for what you're doing in this heart and in this life. And we pray that they would be rooted in you, that they would be surrounded by you. Use us, please, God. I pray that the newness of life that you assure, that it would be theirs that they would step in and all the stuff that's been keeping them from you would just fall off, that it wouldn't even be an issue, Jesus. We celebrate with you, we celebrate with the angels today, oh God. And then God, I pray for all of us as we step into this process of asking and answering those questions, that question, who and whose are you, that you would compel us that you'd make it all about the eternal destiny of souls, not just having a more organized, neat and tidy life, but that would all be about us living more and more and more deployed on the mission of Christ, that you'd make it all about your mission for us, please. Clarifying, weeding out, simplifying what life is really supposed to be about, it's you. It's knowing you and it's making you known. Really, two parts of one thing, like a breath, an inhale and an exhale. Knowing you and making you known. Send us on that mission, Jesus. Send us with passion and send us with fervor and send us with clarity. Please, God. Let us be entirely focused on the divine appointments that you're setting right in front of us day in and day out, asking us to speak your gospel, to display your gospel, to tell your good news. 
and that we would do it. It wouldn't just be so frantic that it falls off or we lose sight or we forget or we don't have time. Catch us up in your mission, please, Jesus. It's you we love, it's you we worship, it's you we celebrate today. And all God's people agreed in Jesus' name and said,